Welcome to the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. This is where you get answers to your cycling and triathlon related questions. And I'm Coach Jonathan Lee. With me is Coach Chad Timmerman. Hey, everybody. Our head coach and our CEO, Nate Pearson. Hello. And today we are going to answer more of those coaching questions. You can submit them to us at trainerroad.com slash podcast or use the hashtag AskTrainerRoad. We'll sort through as many as we get and put them into the feed. Uh, let's start off with Mark's question today. He says, first of all, Trainer Road has been, and this start, we're bragging a bit in this first part, so please forgive us. But he says, and this is Mark's words. not bragging if it's true. <laughs> Mark words, not, Mark's words, not ours. So he says, first of all, Trainer Road has been absolutely the best investment for my training beside my power meter. I'd say they're good companions there, right? Um, I've been a user since December and have, add, and have added 40 watts from 190 to 230 at 61 kilograms to my FTP since then. Nice work, man. Really good job, Mark. So he says, I have a question about off-season training since my race season is about to wrap up. I primarily race crits, and I know that the main advice about training is basically, and he says in quotes, train the way you would race. So does that mean that I should do the crit training plan over and over until next season starts? Is there another similar training plan I should do to just mix it up? I was thinking maybe the short sustained power plan. Excellent question. Mm -hmm. It is a good question, Mark. Um, in, in a single word, no. Um, yes, we do want to train the way that we race, but that kind of goes with time. Um, we use traditional periodization, and it gets progressively more like the way you're going to race as you move toward your your events. Um, in the process, though, you kind of have to take things at a more basic level, and then it becomes more specific over time. So you're not always training so specifically. And there's a whole number of reasons why not, but primarily um, it, it's just a little too taxing. Once we get into those specialty phases and we're doing that, uh, your uh, capability refinement, those are pretty taxing workouts. And if you were try to, if you were to try to do that year round, it would just be uh, overwhelming. Your body would, would break at some point, your progress would halt and start to go backwards. Um, it's not the way to do it, which is why we have a whole base build and then specialized sort of approach. So you're heading into what's going to be for most people uh, in North America, your base season. So, um, that's, that's when you decide which approach you're going to take. And in the case of a criterium rider, we are almost always going to recommend sweet spot base, um, one and two, and then move into, you say short sustain. That's actually two different, um, build plans. You either do short power or sustained power. In the case of a crit rider, short power is probably, probably suits you best, but it also depends on how you race. If you're a breakaway rider, sustained power might be a better fit for you. And then back into that crit plan such that it times out for when you want to be fastest. Yeah. That's a great, um, question about specificity and it kind of, talk or leads me into what we're going to do for our cyclocross season. We were just, been t we mm -hmm. talked about it a little bit in the podcast and we talked about it way more in Slack. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Chad, how many starting Monday, how many weeks do we have until the end? Well, till the beginning of cyclocross season and the end of cyclocross season. So for our season, um, it times out, what is our season? Eight, eight weeks long. Is it's, it? It's I can't about, remember. It's just, it's about eight weeks. Like I think exactly. Yeah. So basically I just looked yeah. at the most important event, which for, for cross over here is our district championships. And that happens on the, the second weekend in December. And I counted back from there and it works out such that when we start next week, that'll be 16 weeks out, which is perfect. Cause it leaves time for an eight week build and then an eight week specialty. Yeah. So we're going to call that a rebuild, right? For uh, Basically, yeah, because all of us have a season in our belts, under our belts already, and mm -hmm. typically rebuilds, they don't need to be the full eight weeks, but we have the full eight weeks, mm -hmm. so, you know, that's one way we can go about it, and that's the way we're going to go about it, because it allows each of us to work on something that we need to target. And we talked before about maybe doing sweet spot base, and I think we've all, or at least I haven't talked to you about it, Jonathan, but mm -hmm. Chad and I have decided on 
build and why mm-hmm. is that? Yeah, well, in my case, I was going to do short power build because it folds better into the nature of cyclocross racing. But I've been doing a lot of VO2 max work over the last couple of months. So I've decided I'm instead going to go to the sustained power route. That's that's actually oh, me too. That's where I'm better. <laughs> I was going to. And with cross, I, I think there's an argument to be made on both sides of that. Whether you train short power or long power, you're going to utilize both. Totally which true. could be an argument for the general build. But either way, I need sustained I, power. See, I was in, we had a discussion about two podcasts ago. And I said cross, it's not really... It's, I think it's more of the, so we've never done it, but it's more of the sustained power stuff where you're on the edge for the whole hour of racing mm-hmm. and there will be some of that stuff, but we're going to get that when we get into the cyclocross plan yeah. and that's, where we're going to get some of that VO2 yes. max stuff. And I can't, I've done already so much VO2 max work this season yep. that I don't want to jump right back into more of that and then do more again into, mm-hmm. into December. Yeah, I'm completely with you. I was ready to challenge you guys. I was like going to be like, well, I'm smart. I'm going to do sustained power build for my rebuild because those efforts really yeah. like, I respond well to them and I haven't done them this year. And then I'll get that short stuff in cyclocross. And I was like, this morning, I like all these things. I was to justify it because thought <laughs> you guys were going to push back. And the chat's like, I just needed time for logic and common sense to prevail. And it, it led me to believe or understand, realize that I've done so much of that work. I don't need more of it. And yep. frankly, I, I, I know where I'm weak. And, so and I'm, I'm following a different route. So I'm going to be I'm going to be the outlier here. I'm going with general build. And I'm doing an abbreviated one and then going into cycle, which is similar to us. And then I'm going into the cyclocross plan. And the reason for that is, Chad, you mentioned that most of us have a season under our belts. And I really don't uh, because of your injury, a long knee injury that was really tough to fight. And I finally have the upper hand on this thing. So I've, I've been, I'm still finishing out sweet spot base. So I, and this is my first rodeo this year. It's just like a regular kind of, yeah. So why are you picking general? And why are you abbreviating the general? Yeah. Yeah, When we've got time to do all of it. So the reason is I don't have time to do the full build and specialize. And I really do want to get into that uh, cyclocross specific stuff because my body responds so well to that type of training. Whereas Nate, you mentioned the sustained stuff. Your body responds very well to that. Mine is the opposite to cyclocross, the very specific like billet style. So you're talking like 15 Mm -hmm. on, 15 off, 15 on, then 30 off, then 15. And when off, you're sitting at threshold or right around there. That's the type of stuff that my body really responds to well. So I'm going to be doing the general build um, going into that, an abbreviated one. I think I'm just going to do four weeks of that is what I have laid out. And then after that, I'm going to transition into the cross plan. So are you going to extend it or repeat some weeks or are you going to? I'm so you guys well, are going to be gonna... finishing out in December. I think I have one race maybe at the end of December, but my goal is October to yeah. be better um, because I'm not going to be racing district champs. Um, so you're planning an earlier peak. I'm going to be planning an earlier peak, and then I'm going to be resetting everything back in December. My goal in December is reset the clock, get ready yeah, for, for XC racing that's going to be yeah. starting up in the spring. So, but. So my goal is to go to start out a little earlier. Um, Nate, I know you're planning on mostly racing locally here in Reno. I'm going to be going over the hill over to Sacramento to do a number of races. Nate's Um, got a couple of those on his calendar. Cool. I well, tentatively they're on my calendar, but I just want to know about them because we can race six times in three months locally. Yeah. Right. That's that's a lot of racing. yeah. Last yeah, which realistically, I mean, from a you know a rider's perspective, is something to keep in mind. I mean, I, yeah. I get ambitious every year, set up this big race calendar. Yeah. I'm going to travel every other weekend because I know every weekend's too much. But then I come to learn that even every other weekend is too much. Yeah. I mean, you do have to be realistic if you want to race a lot. Mm. Convenience uh, is kind of a and, big and deal. I'm also getting and 
that's a really good point, especially in my situation. Now that we have a kid, oh, yeah. it's just totally different, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, last year, I raced 36 races last year. Oh. That was a lot. That's a lot of traveling. That was a lot of traveling. Yeah. Uh, for us, it is in, in, our, in our region. I'm sure for a lot of people listening, it is too. You live close to that main area, and yeah. for us... The racing is shared, but honestly, it's we definitely weighted towards Sacramento. Yeah, it's like two, two hours, hours really to Sacramento to get to the big stuff. Yeah. Um, so, I, I'm I'm optimistic. I think in in what I plan to do in terms of racing, but hopefully dialing it down before we get into the holidays and everything else will make things easier. So, because now that we have a child, everyone's going to love to come visit us now for <laughs> for holidays. The one thing that I worry about, and this has come up a lot of times on the podcast, is doing a full rebuild and then a full specialty plan into December and just burning out. Mm. And before that happens, like, like cyclocross cycle season starts and I'll be like, I'm over. It mm. could. And, and it's happened to me. It's pretty much why I've never raced cyclocross because I reach this point in the season every year. And, and the last done. thing I want to do is more racing, more intense training. Yep. Um, but y- y- you, take it as it comes, see how it goes. And then maybe in Nate's case, maybe he just takes a couple of weeks off and just gets away from it long enough to reinvigorate his interest. I feel that I had the surgery earlier and that took a lot of a big chunk out of my season. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, I have a bunch of travel coming up. And so during my build, I'm going to have like built in, mm-hmm. not really rest weeks, but weeks where I'm going to try to take the P1 pedals to, to work out, but it's going to be not as, you know, not six rides a week. Right. So I'll, I'll probably get a little refreshed on that. Yeah, so, um, so, so yeah, go ahead, Nate. Sorry. Well, one more thing about cyclocross is we just signed up for Cross Vegas. Yeah. So we're going to interview. The Wheelers and Dealers race. That won't well, be humiliating. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want, let me describe it, okay? It's the Wheelers and Dealers race. By the way, too, if you guys want any podcasts about Interbike or if you guys want, if you guys want about tech stuff, we might do some live stuff, let us know. Send it in if you want that mm-hmm. stuff from us or just stay on the coaching. Yeah. But the Wheelers and Dealers race, so anyone who's at Interbike can sign up for this race. But the race is, it's a UCI World Cup event. So mm-hmm. the course is serious, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's in Vegas. It's at night. It's a really cool venue. But the Wheelers and Dealers is after Interbike closes. So we're right before the pro Pros. men. Yeah, yeah pro, pro women. women. And then pro men, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So there'll be like a thousand people there watching us. At least. On our first race. I'm not like flexible enough to like jump on the bike. I've never done that. We So I was actually going to say, John, we need Better to set up some up. like Friday afternoon where we go yeah. to... The park. Rancho, Rancho. Yep. Be, we have a big park for it. That's and so. Practice. I yeah, and all. This is a quick tip. And sorry, Mark. Hopefully, we're. I feel like we answered your question. <laughs> hopefully, it was adequate. And we're drifting into cross. But for everyone that's interested in getting into cross, and honestly, this is helpful for everyone, regardless, especially triathletes. You're going through transition, and and it can make you a lot more comfortable with running with your bike and that relationship there. Um, I made a total fool of myself, but it was worth it. I was running around in my backyard in my cleats. And make sure you put on bib shorts because if you're just wearing normal shorts, you're gonna catch your shorts on your sa- on your saddle and it's gonna be very embarrassing and you're gonna fall. Or the two in ones, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was wearing uh, bibs just like normal, and I was running back and forth in our backyard, jumping onto my bike, and my wife opened the window just to laugh out loud at me. So because <laughs> it was so ridiculous, but it helped. So. Um, there are two ways that you can do that when you are running with your bike and you want to jump onto the bike. First of all, a lot of people, um, you forget, just put both hands on the bars when you're about to jump on. A lot of people forget and they have one arm on the top tube still, and then they have to try to move that arm while trying to jump onto the bike and it's tricky. So put both hands on there. And then when you're running, you can do the, you can stutter step your way with the foot that's still down 
and jump on. You don't just have to leap and jump on and land on the saddle. I see people do that, though. And you can do it, and it's great, and it is faster, and it's better. It it feels like it would hurt. It gets a little dangerous. (laughs) There's sensitive areas down there, and you have to make sure that you know how to land on that saddle well. But it's very possible. But go to a park somewhere with grass, something that won't have any type of consequence if you fall. And just work on that, and you'll be the laughing stock of every kid at the park or anything else. But who cares? Uh, oh, you're cross, racing. You're racing cyclocross. Las Vegas in, is going to be. So I got, I got news for you. There is still consequence when you fall on grass because I <laughs> did a lot of it last weekend. So it's, it it still hurts. Did you practice? <laughs> yeah, I practiced wheelies and manuals on the mountain bike. Oh. Yeah, yeah, um, still hurts. It's humbling. <laughs> yeah. My plan is across Vegas is just to grab every beer that I can because then I'll be mm. a crowd favorite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's the so way to do it. doesn't matter if I Distract fall. Like, oh, he drank like eight beers. That's why he fell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, cool. Um, all right, let's get into Kev's question. Um, he says, how do I calculate my FTP using the two-by-eight-minute test? And for those that don't know, that's an FTP test that we have, and it's a way to identify like a benchmark of fitness, and you can structure everything after that. He says 90% of the best eight-minute effort or 90% based on the average of both. Go ahead, Chad. Hey, Kev. I'm actually I'm going to kind of bypass your question and just tell you that we do it for you. It's a calculation that's handled by Trainer Road, and it's covered. Um, what I do want to address is something else that this question shines a light on and that some people, uh, I think a lot of people, use the two-by-eight-minute test with the intention of just banging out one solid eight-minute effort. Mm-hmm. And that's absolutely the wrong way to go about it. There's a reason there are two of those efforts. I have said in the past, you just need one solid eight minute effort, but that's not to imply you only prepare yourself for a single eight minute effort. Do them both, even if even if they they don't compare very well. Um, and then how we calculate power? Don't sweat that; it, it'll it'll all iron out. But the, the fact of the matter is, if you go into that, um, there isn't a five minute clearing effort like there is with a twenty minute effort. First off, so you might be carrying a little extra anaerobic energy resources into it, which could influence and inflate your value. And, and secondly, it's the fact that there isn't that clearing effort and you're just gearing yourself for a single eight-minute effort can mean that, again, there's just too much of an anaerobic contribution. And though we do reduce it a little more considering it's, it's an eight-minute test, it's not enough to make up for that. So you could be setting yourself up to fail by actually overestimating what is truly sustainable for you. And then every subsequent workout that you dive into is going to be that much harder, maybe even a little out of your reach. Mm-hmm. So go into it with the mindset that you're going to properly pace, but give it everything you have on each of those two minute effort, or sorry, eight minute efforts, knowing that there's a 10 minute break in between and that what they yield together is more meaningful than what one of them yields independently. And know that after the first eight minute effort, you're going to feel in that moment, right when you finish, there's no way I could do another one. It's just like then, every interval workout. Yep. You never make decisions coming right off the interval. Give it some time, let yourself recover and recuperate. Then decide. And by the time that rest interval is over, you'll be ready to go again. And actually, I bet a lot of people are surprised regularly at how good they do on the second interval still. It's pretty common. I I typically have a better effort the second time around. Yeah. A lot of that is pacing. If uh, you're last night, we just did FTP testing with a bunch of kids on a high school team here. And it was a whole experience for them getting used to everything from testing. And then they're also on smart trainers. They had to get used Mm -hmm. to that. But everybody had a better effort well, on the second off- one, but they gave it 100% on both. Exactly. And, and, and often enough, I mean, you look at a 10-interval a, a workout, and it's a little disconcerting. I mean, it's a little um, – just knowing that you, know, you do a hard effort and you've got nine more of those to do can kind of take your head out of the game. And the same thing happens with two of these efforts. You know, you're on the first one, you're like, I can't possibly do this again. I don't know if I'm going to be able to finish this one. All these little doubts can influence and kind of set you back, maybe not give you a fair measure of what you can do. 
But then you get to that second test, all the pressure's off, you've got one in the bank, and a lot of the times you have a, a second better effort. Mm-hmm. And just just read the workout text, right? <laughs> if you read the workout text during those testing intervals, they will guide you through on pacing and you'll do just fine. That's the that's the big key. So uh, Steven, and this guy sounds, this guy has a really similar situation to you, Nate, in a lot of ways. So let's get, I'm curious to see why. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. All right. He's very handsome. He's, How could you tell great, that? Yeah. Has a great voice. Extremely yeah. <laughs> All right. So he says, guys, even though it's summertime and I'm riding mostly outdoors, I've kept up my train of road subscription because I enjoy the podcast so much. That's cool. That does sound like me. <laughs> That's awesome. I like I'm mostly that. outdoors just weekends. Um, I've been riding for about nine years and done a few races, but this year I got serious. I joined a team stuck to train road over the winter and started getting much faster. I sucked at my first two road races this year. That's the part. I'm joking, Nate. That's not <laughs> He says, I sucked at the first two races this year, but I've joined a fast weekly group ride, and I'm finally able to mostly hang with him. Last week, I tried my hand at the local Tuesday night crit, but got taken out by a pileup in the third lap. Bummer, man. And needed stitches in my leg. Luckily, nothing too serious, and I'll probably be back on the bike tomorrow. Uh, so that's a long way to get to my question. How do I find my type of racing? I own mountain, road, and cyclocross bikes. Sounds like you, Nate. And I've raced all of them except so the mountain bike. Yeah, true. And Chad. <laughs> and <man>. Chad. <laughs> I'm not much of a climber. I hate crashing. And my bike handling skills are okay, but not excellent. And you've mentioned, Nate, that that's your Achilles heel right now, right? And that's well, the, for mountain biking. For mountain biking. That's what you're working on. Um, he says, I'm around three watts per kilogram, so decent power, but room for improvement. So far, my most enjoyable races have been fire road or gravel races, but there are only two to three a year where I live. I'd like to pick a discipline and train hard for it, then use my fitness to improve the other disciplines, although I don't know that I'll be crit racing again soon. Any tips on picking a poison? Thanks, and keep up the good work. Because that's kind of what you're doing right now, Nate, in the sense that you're really focusing on one style of racing. You did mountain biking. Are you going to be focusing on crit or cyclocross? Working on your bike handling? I'm doing a lot, though. I don't know. I actually have a TT on Saturday that I'm doing. It's a time trial. Huh. Yep. Uh, it's oh, a, that's right. Yeah, you're it's a relay for a triathlon. That's right. Other yeah. That's right. Chad, what do you what do you say about this one? How do you find yep. my type? Like, how does each person find their well, niche? Well, I think Stephen has the luxury of having access to all these different types of racing. So the obvious answer, at least to me, is to do all of it. See what see what you like best. See what you're best at. And then, you know, the challenge of not being good at something could be enough motivation to, you know, maybe you want to be a good crit rider. You're just afraid of crashing. You just don't have the handling skills. Well, develop them. And I know it's easier said than done and nobody likes crashing. Um, but as you move up through the ranks, the the crashing becomes certainly less frequent. Um, but you can also strategize to avoid crashing. We talked about this last week where, you know, be a breakaway rider where you're out there in front of in front of the, the dangerous uh, group with a small small group of riders or <clears throat> maybe just yourself alone. But in any case, you first have to decide you know what you want to do. Um, and then, like I said, experiment with all the bikes you have, see which, which you derive the most enjoyment from. Plus with the, the gravel races, I think anything you want to do, you can still do those two to three times a year. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. could kind of peek for it if you wanted to and target those races, but... I mean, if, if that's your thing, I, I, I would just focus on what's the most fun. And then inside of that, most, what's the most fun? Which way do you race the best based on your physiology? Yeah, and, you know then, I mean? and then as far as like keeping it general with our particular training plans, the sweet spot base is, is a great way to approach any riding discipline. And then uh, just do the general build. Now, that's kind of obvious. 
And then uh, as far as the specialty plan, hopefully by then you'll be moving into a season that kind of dictates which direction you go, or maybe you'll have learned, uh, I'm not particularly good at something and that'll steer your specialty choice. Or when in doubt, just do the 40K TT. Just keep on raising that FTP. Yeah, for, for me, finding the type of racing that is most, that is my type, and I'm doing air quotes here, it doesn't necessarily mean whatever is easiest for me. It's whatever I, I get the most satisfaction out of. And a yeah. lot of the time for me... that gives me, you motivation, right? Yeah, and a lot of the time for me, that's improvement, and that's what I'm really going for. So mm-hmm. it isn't necessarily just something that I'm, I'm very naturally, you know, uh, uh, I guess, enabled toward a specific type of riding. So for you, how do you find your type of racing... I think that you're doing the right thing and that you're racing a lot of different stuff. And the more events that you expose yourselves to like that, you'll find different opportunities to improve or different strengths. And it's going to motivate you in one way or another. So yeah. like if I was just wanting to focus on what I was good at, I would have, I would be doing just triathlon still. Right. Or I would just be doing flat crits. Yeah. But both of those I've done triathlons for so many years that kind of over that right now, flat crits don't interest me too much because mm-hmm. of the, it's funny because the crashing, then I go to mountain biking and just <laughs> yeah. crash all the time. But the, it's not as bad on a mountain bike. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, so d- right now, mountain bike and cyclocross sound really, really fun. And then that motivates me. And now I've got some people here that are going to do cyclocross with me. And yeah, uh, that yeah, de- is definitely. also super motivating. And that's fun. And even though that True. might not be my quote unquote best um, discipline, which mm-hmm. I actually think it's going to be really good for me. Yeah. But it's not my. It's not going to be my best disciplined. Um, doesn't mean I'm not going to race it, you know, right. you don't have to be, don't be the guy who like, we just talked about the other day who shows up at a race and if he's not feeling good, he always DNFs uh, yes. and not finish. I have some guys that I know for triathlon, they'll do like only two races a year and then they won't ever finish them because if they get behind, like on the bike at all, which everyone mm-hmm. does, and especially in a long triathlon, like an Ironman, they just quit because they don't want to show that they do a 13-hour yeah. Ironman. They want a, like a sub-10-hour Ironman. It's terrible. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Some advice I got back in the day from a local racer was that the first time you quit, it only gets easier. So yep. these guys, they've cultivated a particular mindset. They know <clears throat> as soon as I'm not having the race I want to have, I'm done. And that's 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 some dangerous territory. Yeah, I have I have a fixed rule, and it is do not quit. And do not quit. Because when I race, I don't know about you guys, but there are demons going on in my head the whole time telling me, oh, you're really not, you know, you lack sleep. You lack this. You lack this. You're really not feeling well. Oh, that pain, that was weird. Maybe that's not normal. Like, your brain's constantly trying to tell you to stop. And if I didn't have that absolute rule of, no, I will not quit ever, then I I would be quitting all the time. Well, and I'll I'll let you in on a little secret. And it's probably not a secret because you've all been there. We've all been there. Um, I, I can't tell you how many times during a race I'm thinking I'm not up to up to it today. Um, I can't do this. I mean, I, I flirt with the idea of quitting all the time. Yep. I don't I'm, quit, but I think about it a lot in, 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 in particular races. And to further this point, I've, I've had some of my best results by gutting it out, by hanging in there. Yep. Sometimes the occasional, the occasional win. I flirt. I think during the race, like I want to quit the sport. Like oh, yes. Ironman, oh, yes. in the middle of Ironman, I'm like, in the marathon, I'm like, why am I doing this? This is dumb. I, uh, what am I doing in my life? Like, right. I should just get into weightlifting. It's so easy. And I put so can much see time into cool. this, right? Yeah. yeah. I always think of that too. Yeah, it's frustrating. You know, and 
the only times that I have DNF'd, it's because um, one time I had just absolutely wretched. I just DNF'd a couple of weeks. Wretched food poison. <laughs> I had wretched food poisoning, and people were like gasping when they saw me because I was so yeah. covered in well, vomit. Well, there are legitimate reasons. It was time to drop out. Mine was un- right? I was unsafe. Yeah. That's why I did it. It wasn't because it was too hard. I was just like, I'm not skills. The yeah. only time I think, too, that's okay for DNFs, or if you're a pro, let's say you're a pro um, triathlete. And every weekend you're doing half Ironmans and it happens a lot of times in a row. Or you have like two Ironmans, like two weeks apart and you're going through the race and you've gotten dropped from the quote unquote bike pack. There's not really a pack, but mm-hmm. there is. Um, and you have a race coming up and you're like that. And you, then you pull out to recuperate from the next one because you have to like make money for it and stuff. If you're right. a, if you're an age trooper, you're not doing probably a half Ironman every week or yeah, an Ironman that's every pro two level weeks. stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Cause yeah, then that, you're, I think yeah. the point of that is that there are valid reasons to yeah. quit a race. Yeah, it's but like people quit the Tour de France to like freshen up for the Olympics. For sure. Yeah, uh, I mean yeah. there are there are reasons, but yeah. just just make sure they're the right ones. Yeah, exactly. It it makes such a huge difference. Not because man. it's hard. Yeah, exactly. Or you can't put Definitely out much power not. out. That's the worst. Because it's hard for everyone, ever. and no one ever puts. Have you guys Cycling ever, will like, never had a be power easy. target yeah. and been like, I just blew my target power target away from by thirty watts, <laughs> no. like for a time trial. <laughs> no. You ever do that? No, not by that much. But yeah, yeah, you only just like. Yeah, it's so rare. You, yeah. you, you, like cycling is always hard. Every little hill is always going to slow you down. It's just it's always tough, and it never gets easier. Speaking of power targets, so. I want to just mention something yeah. about because I've been training a little bit on my TT bike on the trainer, mm-hmm. and I have found and I, I forgot about this, but my the power difference between my road bike and my TT bike thirty forty watts. Um, Riding arrow. Yep. Yeah. In yeah. arrow position versus just upright position, right? Yeah. And you know what? It, if I train on the TT bike more, that will it'll come together. It'll start to swing into balance, but, but not as time. much. They've never they've never been it's exactly far. in balance. And people are like, oh, you have a bad fit. Part of it's you know I'm, I'm I have to be more folded over, being so tall. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if I mentioned it before, but <laughs> I have. I'm I'm six foot six and skinny and. No, no, no matter what the DEXA says. By the way, we need to go over DEXA. I know. Yeah. But, and, and, and I've been fit on Retool and uh, a bunch of other systems, paid a whole bunch of money, and bike fits more than more than $2,000, actually. <laughs> and they always kind of come back the same. But in general, that's just something that I want to point out to everyone on the podcast listening, is that if you're racing a certain way, especially like a, a TT or triathlete, Try to do as much training on that bike as you can. Yeah, we our cyclocross bikes. The reach is a little bit farther than my road bike, mm-hmm. and I'm going to as soon as my TT is done tomorrow. Only ride on the trainer on my cyclocross bike. Yeah, with a through axle adapter. And and the interesting thing with this too, Nate, you've been riding your mountain bike a lot outside, and mm-hmm. then you've been way open hip angle. Yep, mm-hmm. and then you've been riding on the road bike upright. So yep, really doing upright. the opposite. Yeah, so just try, try not yeah. to lose sight of the fact that it's still about power. It's still about fitness. I mean, aerodynamics should always be the icing on the cake. And and what better example than than Fabian Cancellara just now? I mean, that guy, he's not aero, but he is powerful as can be arrow compared to the, well yeah yeah, yeah i yeah. mean rel- relatively speaking you look at dumoulin or tony martin or something yeah. you compare that to cancellar he's a truck but he's <laughs> he's powerful like a truck too and he wins because of it because he has high fitness he's willing to suffer his position doesn't compromise that power output and and, and it works and it works for 99 percent of athletes okay here's a question for you chad tomorrow the race the bike leg it's only 13 miles long but it's very like twisty and turny and kind of up and down. A lot of shifting, a lot of out of the saddle stuff. The the top guys will do it in only an average speed of like 19 miles per hour. Mm-hmm. So I've done it before on a road bike. 
I have an Aero road bike, a Benj. I could do my road bike with my disc and 808 on it. That's what I'd do. Rather than my TT bike. Is yep. it the Folsom course? The, the park course? Yeah. Yeah. That's you done that? Technical, windy. Yeah, duathlon back in the day. It's but, not that uh, technical, but... But it's narrow roads, two-way traffic. In yeah. any case, the, the fact that the, ma- the average speed is 19 miles per hour... For says, the fastest guys. Yeah, it says that the aerodynamic Me? benefit is just <laughs> not as much a concern as like a flat 40K TT where you're trying to be closer to 30 miles an hour. Right. So, I, I, frankly, I would take the better handling machine, just get low, get the right wheel set on it, aero helmet. Also, you're used to more upright and position right that's, now. That's the uh, point right there. How much time have you spent on your TT bike? Because if you're going to go out there and put out 10, 20, 30%, <laughs> or 30 watts even... <laughs> less power than you can if you were to sit just a little higher i think that's going to make more of a difference in terms right. of time than yeah. the uh, increased aerodynamics my disc will fit on my road bike yeah it'll I fit. see why not i'll look like so cool it'll fit <laughs> yeah you'll it'll sound cool i mean discs yeah. always sound cool. that's a good mm, it's tough i know i've done that yeah unless you've been on a tt bike a lot i i, I don't even think a lot of guys the top guys though do it see the top guys are on a tt bike they're not on road bikes right yeah, but, but it's for me, probably it's the training power a lot difference. on their TT bike. It's the power, my, yeah, it's the it's power difference. Power. You're you're putting yourself like you think that you're going on an aero bike to get an advantage, mm-hmm. but you're putting yourself at a handicap with power. I know. I'm worried that you the know. any advantage I'm getting from aerodynamics is going to be, be lost from lack exactly. of power and, and a little bike handling. handling. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm, I think my road bike because of mountain biking, like I'll be able to handle it on my road bike, no problem yeah. at all. Remember, crashing is always slower than more, than more drag, right? That's like the yeah. that's the that's the thing that people, yeah. you know. I don't think I'll crash. This isn't that technical for crashing. Yeah, but, but crashing aside, I I think the road bike's absolutely the best call. Mm-hmm. Okay, I got something to think about. <laughs> yes, you do. Kick it around. Let's go into uh, Eddie's question. He says, "Do you recommend fasted training on really intense VO two max workouts, one hour or less?" like Morgan, or should I eat before and during? And I know we've covered a lot of questions like this recently, mm-hmm. but they're coming up a lot, and I figured we'd just knock it out again. Yeah, as always, Eddie, it goes back to the quality of the workout. If you can hit your targets, if you can maintain all the way through the course of the workout, then you probably got enough sugar to adequately do the workout. Um, and when you talk about fasted, you know, coming off of an overnight fast where your muscles are still loaded up, that's that. It's probably plenty of plenty of uh, sugar in order to do a, a one hour workout, especially considering within that hour there's a lot of recovery, warm up, cool down. So you're actually probably doing 20, 30, maybe 35 minutes worth of work. Um, so absolutely, if it's later in the day where for whatever reason you've run those stores down and you're coming into it a little cooked, and you'll you'll notice early on it, things just won't be panning out as planned. And then you know you're going to need something quick. Um, as far as eating before, it just has to be easily metabolized. You can probably get away with a gel or, you know, some high glycemic food. As far as during, almost always, uh, in the case of an hour workout, it's, it's got to be fluid if you're going to digest it quickly enough to make use of it. Yep. Uh, Bob from Twitter, he says, during VO2 max work, I can hit the power target, but my cadence drops to 60 or 75 RPM. Which adaptation am I lacking? Bob, you might not necessarily be lacking an adaptation. If uh, if you're already incorporating some speed work and you can spin comfortably at 90, even up to 100, 105 RPM, and you can typically do that, um, when, when the power is you know, much lower, like an endurance ride, tempo, sweet spot even, then uh, speed work probably isn't the issue. If, however, you can't, then, then speed needs to be addressed. My guess is you're, you're just hitting uh, high, high power and it's just grinding you down. Um, so basically you just need to get stronger or you need to, well, you're hitting your targets. So, so I would recommend maybe toning the power down a little bit and bringing the spin up a little, 
But in any case, you're, we're, we're trying to make these highly aerobic. We're trying to make, um, you know, that there's power comes down to, to force and speed, right? How quickly you turn the pedals, how hard you press them. When you go slower, you're making up for it with force. That's, that's sugar burning. That's, that's anaerobic. That's what we're trying to get away from. We're trying to cultivate aerobic capabilities where you're metabolizing fat. You're using those more uh, fatigue resistant fibers to do more turns that aren't quite as forceful. So you're kind of missing the point of the aerobic adaptations we're shooting for with a workout like this. So try to do what you can to work yourself into a quicker, lighter, more aerobic spin, even if that means trimming the watts a little bit or simply going into it with a higher cadence and making yourself hold on to that high cadence. And that does take time. And it's common to see people, especially if you spend a lot of time training around sweet spot and then you're just getting into higher intensity stuff, that stuff does feel hard and it's easy to, to mm-hmm. feel like you're out of sorts, kind of out of your place. Yeah. And once you get, um, so to speak behind your pedal stroke or you're, you know, you're not on top of the gear, mm-hmm. um, it's really hard to come back from it, especially if you're, if you're operating in erg mode, a little less so if you can shift gears and find something that allows you to spin. Erg mode, meaning you have a smart trainer that's yeah. setting the, the load for you. Yeah. Guys. Going back to me. Um, I don't think I heard any of that question, but I'm sure it was great, Bob. Uh, aero, I can put some thinking. aero bars on my road bike. Yeah. I just put some little stubs on oh, there. I figured be- that was part of the equation. No, it was not part of it. Oh, well, it should but be. I, sh- I could put some, I have carbon bars, but I could put some aero bars on my road bike, little stubbies. Clip on the flats. Yeah, clip ons. Yeah. It'd be easy. I, I, just, I just assumed you would. <laughs> Chad, you don't know me well enough. I'm not thinking this deeply into it, but I'm going to do that because yeah. there's a little flat section yeah. where I can uh, use that. And then totally. during the twisty turny, I'll just be full power road mode. Good idea. I like it. Let's go. Okay. I feel good, guys. I'm going to go to the bike shop. Question. You guys got this? Do you, put, <laughs> do you move your saddle forward when you put aero bars or clip on aero uh, bars on your road bike? Great question. If So question. before, before I had a TT bike, mm-hmm. 100% yes. You'd have to um, raise your saddle a little bit and push your seat forward. There's actually like a really cool Kickstarter product that it, it kind of does this, right? Yeah, yeah, red it does. Shift. It does that for you. Uh-huh. Um, but for this race, because I have not been training that way, and mm-hmm. this is just out, I'm not doing that. I'm basically going to have maybe eight or ten of the forty so minutes will be kind of flattish, and yeah. I'll just be folded over a little bit and I'll be fine. Yeah. And then the rest of it, I'm going to be open hip, stretched mm. out, yeah. regular power when I'm used to it. And all you got to do is slide forward on the saddle anyways. So yeah. just ride the nose. Yeah. yeah. And I actually have really short bars on it or a short stub on it right now. Yeah. So I'll, I'll kind of not be, it, I do, it'll pull me back anyway. So. Right. That'll help. And I don't have to run after this either. So a, a lot of that going forward is it, kind of the the problem that I've had on my TT bike is it shifts it way quad heavy mm-hmm. and it uses my glutes less and my hamstrings less. But when you're um, running. <laughs> that's, yeah. they, they do that, yeah, because you're going to run afterwards. Yep. But I'm not going to run. Right. I'm, this is a relay. So yeah. I get to, you just get to, I get to burn myself out and yeah. Yeah. laugh at all the guys that have to run <laughs> and swim. Oh, that's I, so horrible. I'm gonna Swimming take, is way worse than running. I'm going to take it back to Bob's question really okay. quick <laughs> on what adaptation uh, am I lacking I don't want you to feel like you're alone in this one, Bob. It's it's actually, I, I see it with a lot of people. Um, in fact, just last night, as I mentioned, with training with the, with the kids and helping them out, when those clearing efforts and the eight-minute test, and it was like intense stuff there, they all of them, their cadence slowed down substantially. Um, it's pretty common, and yeah. it, it will build over time. That's the good news. Yeah, so. it's, it's really <clears throat> endurance or just, just yep. being able to, to, to hang in there. 
Yeah, yeah. So it'll come around, Bob. Um, I'm sorry. I really did listen to your question, Bob. Chad <laughs> answered it really well, though. <laughs> and, and you brought up a really good question, too, with the, the arrow bars and everything else. So, um, Aaron, he says, great podcast. Greetings from Alberta, Canada. I have a question about sleep after tough evenings or tough evening events and training sessions. For example, this week we had a local 40K TT where I got home around my normal bedtime. I have no problem falling asleep, but usually wake up in the middle of the night and cannot get back to sleep for a while. Plus, my body temperature is usually pretty toasty. This leaves me dragging, dragging in the next day at work. Uh, this also happens after one of Chad's soul-crushing VO2 max <laughs> workouts. Note that I mainly train in the evening after my kids go to bed, so I'm normally done by 9 p.m. I've heard of guys, I've heard of guys taking sleeping bill, pills to combat this, but that seems like overkill. Any comments or tips to not feel like a zombie the next day? Also, I'm curious as to what the body is doing that causes wakefulness after high-intensity sessions. No, this guy sounds like me. This yeah. is my yeah, lifelong struggle. Sounds like a lot yeah. of people who have to exercise after work. It's yep. it's a bummer. Um, and fr- basically, you're <clears throat> kind of disrupting your circadian rhythms. You know, the rhythms that over the course of the day wind towards sleep. The sun goes down. You start to get sleepy. You go to sleep. Right. Um, you're you're throwing a wrench in those gears when you go out and do a hard effort. And basically, it comes down to two words. It's it's uh, catabolic hormones. So in particular, we're talking epinephrine, norepinephrine, cortisol. These are all things that help us when we're exercising, but they do not help us when we're trying to sleep. And, and when you exercise, these levels elevate. If you're deconditioned and you exercise, they elevate even more. If your intensity is high, they really elevate. And the bummer is, is they stay elevated. So even when you're done exercising, this stuff's still coursing around in your system and it doesn't lend to good sleep. So uh, there, there are things you can do. I mean, you can supplement, you can take sleeping pills, although I got to question the quality of the sleep you're actually getting. Um, there's, you know, the glass of milk can get some tryptophan, which is a precursor to serotonin, which is a precursor to melatonin, or you can just jump straight ahead and take some melatonin, um, which is, is what I do actually can't say it works great, but it does work. Um, the fact that you're staying asleep for as long as you're, as you're staying asleep says you're probably getting a lot of the regenerative aspects of your sleep which is beneficial because that happens early on and then you're waking up, but that's when the, you know, the, the memory entrainment or consolidation takes place. And that's why you're not sharp mentally the next day. So, you know, at least take heart in the fact that your body is probably regenerating at least to some extent and that your mind may, while, while, while maybe not sharp is just going to be, uh, one of the outcomes of, of late night workouts and races. This is something I've struggled with a long time, not just if I do a late night workout, which really messes me up, but just in general, um, and I want to preface my comment as I'm no expert on this stuff. So take everything I say with a grain of salt. It's kind of just talking about my experience. One, if I do a really hard workout, my body heats up way higher. Oh, yeah, night, the body temp things. Is and I get night sweats and I'll wake up like freezing. <laughs> mm-hmm. But and then, you know, it'll all be soaked. Um, a fan can help with that. Mm-hmm. Um, a really good comforter. I found that a down comforter, like real down works a, like a really light one works a lot better than yep. synthetic. Yeah, down if I, if I can chime breeze. in, we, we crank the ceiling fan up and that, that cooling effect, uh, there's a lot better chance I'll stay asleep a little bit longer. It makes a big deal if you can shed that heat. We have that huge fan and then I actually see with my eyes partially open, <laughs> which is kind of creepy. Yeah, yeah it's, but it's giving me really dry <laughs> eye problems. I actually uh. have plugs in my tear ducts. You guys don't know that. Uh-huh. Yeah, little plugs in there for years. No way. So what I do is I put in this like really... Um, goopy eye gel that you can buy it's there's like it's like the super gel and you put that in you can't see anything but it kind of creates a shield and sometimes i wear a sleeping mask mm. um i still wake up many times during the night 
part of that's the sleep apnea stuff. I had the nasal surgery. I'm not sure if that's really helped yet. I haven't done a retest. I can, my nose is still, it's been what, four months maybe? Yeah, four months, yeah. It's still sensitive. I can push on my nose and make it bleed still. Jeez. It's crazy, right? My kid will hit me and then I'll blow my nose and blood will come out. Um, <laughs> it's eh, terrible. It's, it's tough being me, guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the thing, this is what I do. Um, about an hour before bed, and I go to bed about 8.30, so about 7, 7.30, I'll take melatonin, which really puts me in the sleepier and when state. When you say you and take talking, melatonin, how do you, how do you take yeah, it? Yeah, okay, so... Pill form, like, 5 to 10 milligrams, yeah? No, 10's uh, a lot. Um, I do 10. Well, personally. Chag goes uh, hard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so for melatonin, I've done a few things. I actually like the time-released melatonin better. There's, like, a 5-milligram time release. That's been my favorite. Recently, my wife bought me gummy melatonin, Mm-hmm. And I take... Um, like gummy bears? Yeah, they're gummy bears and nice. they're sugar-free. Nice. So it's like really fun. Win. <laughs> um, so I take four milligrams of that. That, I think, doesn't keep me asleep as long, although there's no scientific stuff to back that up. I That could be a lot of me just thinking because I know it's mm-hmm. not time release that, mm-hmm. you know, like stepping back, look at yourself. Um, and then I also, on all my phones and my computer... I have the like the redshift mode. Yeah. So on my Mac, I do that where it, it takes out all the blue light, which can also mess you up. So if you're doing your workout on your computer or on um, your iPhone, make sure that you take the blue out of the screen because that can also mess up your production of melatonin by having too much of that bright light. You want to. It's the, all, all about that uh, circadian rhythm. Yep. Is you want to take that out of your system. I definitely Watching notice TV a difference with that, that by the way. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's oh so yeah, on blue block blue blocker glasses look kind of ridiculous but I've been using those and I got to say do you use them at night? I'm, I'm a fan so far. Yeah, for anything anything that involves a screen. I yeah. bought some of those like not blue blocker ones but um there's like a gaming company and I bought theirs but they did not they like distorted my vision. They're really low huh. quality. They were expensive oh. but low so quality. Just for too. Yeah, yeah, it was it was very bad. Um <laughs> yeah. Another thing you can do in an iOS tip is you search on it to make like a super dim phone. Search on that. And you know how the um, an iPhone can only get so dim? And you're mm-hmm. sometimes you're in bed and you're like, I wish it could be more dim. Mm-hmm. Search for that. I think 9 to 5 Mac has a tutorial about it. But I have it set up where if I triple click my home button, it makes it even more dim, like half the dimness. Sure. And I can have that when I probably shouldn't be in bed. But with the Redshift and that on, it's barely any light coming out at all. Nice. Um, and yes, I know people are like, well, there's your problem. But <laughs> so, but I don't do that every night and I still yeah. have problems. So that's what I do is that time release melatonin, especially when we're doing those late North Star races. Yes. We are racing after work at yeah. and then home at 930. We're at an awesome resort. So we hang out and have pizza and, yeah, and, and relax and you get home really late. Uh, you know, one thing that I do and, and all of these tips, I, I'm I'm taking notes on all this stuff. This is going to be good. I'm going to try the melatonin. You tell Simon to be quiet. <laughs> yeah, tell my newborn to be quiet. That'll work, right? Um, he was up quite a. He was up a lot last night. So, but the one thing that I do to just try to help, and I don't know, and I don't know, Chad, if you've ever seen any science on this or anything else. So once again, and I know this was mentioned the other day, I have no science to back this up. <laughs> but uh, when I get home from those races. Uh, my wife is kind enough to allow this. I, I disconnect for a while. And when I say a while, I'm saying 30 minutes. And I have a simple yoga routine that I do that's not not demanding in any way. Um, it's mostly variations of Ashtanga sun salutations. It's very simple, very, very, and it's relaxing. 
And I'll do that, turn off screens, and just completely relax and stretch. And I feel so much more relaxed after that. I've noticed a marked difference because I wake up and my legs are on fire. Mm-hmm. They're just hot after a, a hard race or a workout. Um, and I constantly wake up the whole night. I get the cold sweats. It's tough. But when I do that, I notice an improvement. It's not it's not like a, every time it, it changes it, but I do notice an improvement. And that could very well just be me mentally calming down, right, from that from the race and everything else. But um, if you do have a workout like that, you probably have some type of routine to get ready for that workout. And if you have the luxury, have a routine to decompress from that workout before you go to sleep, and that can really help. So Yeah, the, I think there's proven science of relaxing your mind and stuff. Yeah, it certainly can, can help, especially with getting to sleep. As far as staying asleep when you still have those elevated levels. Those are some um, good tricks that you guys have, hopefully, with melatonin. I, I switch to constantly oh. using a mask. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that helps. Earplugs and eye mask every night. So the yeah. science, too, that I've read on melatonin, is mixed on if it's safe or not. So interesting for long-term use. Yeah, and I don't think there's necessarily I can't find anything it, over saying. than a year of somebody using it. And I read anything from death to it's perfectly fine. So <laughs> take that. It's pretty wide range. Wide range. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you experience any of those things, please you'll be not fine. Save us. Probably or don't die. take that. Uh, yeah. Just ah, probably. I don't know. It's tough. The the yeah, other thing, and, and let's let's make it clear that we're not recommending taking melatonin. We're simply yeah. saying that's what we do. And don't it, do it. it. Maybe works don't for us, it. and it doesn't work every time. Especially if you're in my age group. No, just kidding. Yeah. Just don't. I. It's better to not do it. The one thing that I uh, to I recommend not to do is uh, any type of uh, antihistamine like Benadryl, because mm. um, Tylenol PM will have it in there. Uh, Nyquil will have it in there. There's some like you'll just get a sleep aid, and that will be the main ingredient. Because yeah. there has been a recent uh, um, study about it that says that that has been linked to increased uh, Alzheimer's Oof. rate when you're older. Scary. So now I'm like very, don't want to take any Benadryl. Yeah. You know, and, and one thing too, you mentioned sleeping pills. And, and I don't know if it's this way for you or for anybody else. But um, man, I in the rare cases, usually it's just long overnight flights like red eyes or anything else like that. I'll take a sleeping pill in that situation. Um, and it's probably and the Benadryl one. You buy it, it over the counter. I buy it over the counter, so I think yeah, that's basically what yeah. it is. Um, and there's sleep aids. And I sleep terribly after that night, the next time when I'm trying to just go to sleep without them. It takes me a long time to just get back into things. It kind of messes me up. So I don't know if... Uh, Could it be the change in time zone too, though? Perhaps. But taking them locally, I have taken them locally before to try to sleep, and it, it really messes me up. So um, so perhaps that, uh, perhaps that could could cause some issues there. Let's move on to Patrick's question. He says, first of all, thanks for the weekly dose of insight and inspiration. After a year off the bike, this podcast is the only thing that reminds me I'm a cyclist and keeps me paying for a train of road each month. Sweet. Awesome. Another guy. <laughs> hey, awesome. shave your legs too. Yeah, you yeah. Just rub them. I'm makes a cyclist. You, makes, you <laughs> <laughs> makes you feel like a cyclist, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. He says, I finished Perry Breast Perry. That's a 1,200K, about 700-mile race. It's a, I think that's a multi-day event. Um, it's got to be. Yeah, I've, I've heard of this before. You can do 700 miles in a day. No, no. no. Yeah, yeah, true, right. <laughs> Obviously a multi-day event. But um, I think it's like like kind of designed to – I don't know if you guys have ever heard of like Ragbri or anything like that, but it's a race across Iowa, and it's just understood that everybody right. goes to a certain town to a certain town. It's kind of a cool, kind of a cool vibe. So um, similar idea. 
Last August, after two years of training, but then life got in the way. A new house, new baby, work, travel, and injury have crowded out my training and contributed to precipitous power loss and weight gain. I've been wanting to bridge back with Trainer Road. I like how he says bridge back. That's a, you are a cyclist through and through. You don't have to worry about that. Um, he says... Uh, I'd like to bridge back with Trainer Road plans since last winter and haven't managed to get traction with a renewed training habit. It's almost August now, and I would appreciate your guidance about how to spend the summer and fall to get back on track for 2017. Should I start with a prolonged base phase and repeat the 12-week series a second time before proceeding to build in February? As an ultra-endurance rider who needs to lose weight, I'm tempted to do traditional base high volume every morning in a fasted state and become more of a fat-adapted athlete. As an overwhelmed father with a demanding job, sweet spot based low volume and some time outdoors might be more realistic and fun. Please help point me in the right direction to losing weight and gaining fitness after this prolonged layoff. Patrick, I think you may have answered your own question there. It's going to come down to how much time you have to devote to training. Um, the, the long, slow stuff is really only beneficial if you can do a fair amount of it. Um, a lot of coaches draw the line at 10 hours a week. Some push it as high as 16 hours a week. So it's a question of you know, just how much time can you do it? Um, with the whole fasted training, that's a whole other way of, of getting into it and becoming more fat adapted. Um, maybe perhaps, or, you know, likely less training time with dietary manipulation, but it's, you know, it's a bit more complex than I think a lot of people make it out to be. Um, so with a kid and, you know, just a lifestyle that probably includes doing things more than just being on the bike all the time, I would certainly steer you toward the sweet spot based route, especially if you can get out of the house once every week or two for a longer ride. I think that strikes a really nice balance, but it is going to come down to just how much time you can devote to training. Chad, you said it was more complex than people make it out to me, but you mean less complex, right? No, fasted training, in terms of becoming fat adapted, I mean, you can shift your metabolic preference Mm -hmm. um, gradually, and it's it's not particularly complex, but to actually become fat adapted is, it's a much... You're you're talking about achieving fat adaption, not not fasted training. Fasted training in in exercise is pretty simple. Two different things, yeah. I mean, one can, one is a component of the other, but... Um, becoming fat adapted is is quite a process and, and takes quite a commitment. Yeah, no doubt. And can take quite a lot of time. So too, as an experience of, you kind of sound like me, Patrick, is you can lose weight with this, sweet yeah, spot. This guy sounds like you. Yeah. <laughs> this guy, yeah. He's like taking time <laughs> off. going to be my way Every toward, question, this guy sounds toward like Toward weight loss. Yeah. No, but I mean, you can totally do it. I, I was just talking to some other um, employees here. Uh, one guy wants to lose some weight and it's... Pretty much, I fuel for my workouts, and that's the only carbs is kind of before the workouts. Mm-hmm. When I was losing weight, I'm, I'm eating more carbs now to kind of gain power. But, um, and then you just got to used to being hungry. That's yeah. Like, yeah. I it's... was talking to him, I'm like, I'm hungry right now, but I'm used to it. So, yeah. I could go out and eat a, I said, double at Wendy's, <laughs> large fries, a frosty. <laughs> and a Coke, no problem. That was right after lunch. It's like, no problem. I yeah, can and there, eat that. there are strategies to avoid the, you know, constant hunger pangs. Um, and frankly, that's what I've striven, strived for, for these last probably five years. Try to figure out ways to lose weight, to do it gradually and comfortably, and to do it without constant hunger. And I actually have a fair amount of advice to offer on that, but um, not just yet. We'll deal with that as the questions come up. And I don't want to condone any particular method and make it sound hokey. <laughs> Patrick, you sound like a really busy guy. Um, 
I, I don't know how uh, doing the, it, perhaps your work schedule allows to do traditional base in the morning before you go to work, but that'd be pretty tough. I really think sweet spot base is probably a good route. And then on repeating that, Chad, would you recommend that he do that and repeating it before he gets into something? Well, I, I, if he had the time, it'd be pretty cool to do traditional base first and do the high volume end of it and then tone things down, <clears throat> maybe spend a little more time with the family, um, you know, just diversify a bit in general and then go into sweet spot base. Yeah. And he's got the time for it. Would repeating sweet spot base twice have the type of benefit that he needs? I, I yeah, bad idea. wouldn't be the worst thing. Sweet spot base is especially I, if you're it, losing weight. If mm-hmm. you're restricting your calories during mm-hmm. that time, it's kind of the go-to plan in terms of it's got a little bit of everything, yeah. and you can scale it up to the higher volume, such that you're including a little more longer rides. You can make those lo- those longer rides outdoors and substantially longer if you want to. Mm-hmm. You know, the same flexibility as any plan's got, but um, it's it's probably the most inclusive. Uh, set of plans out there, at least within our catalog. Yeah. Two, so you have all this, the the other responsibilities you have is don't um, try to go into something that's reaching farther than you're going to go, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm coming back from nothing to traditional base high volume, which I think is maybe the hardest plan to follow of all the plans we have to stick it's with. Tough. Right, yeah, just because you're just on the bike so much. Mm-hmm. Um, benefit from that, but hard to follow. And if you don't follow it, not as much benefit. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not that we're questioning your ambition, Patrick, because you definitely want to get back into it, but we're just human, and a lot of the time it's really tough coming back cold turkey and just going straight into something like that. And my other advice is on Sweet Spot Base, especially the first set um, you're going to be doing on the low volume, three workouts a week, is if you can do more, uh, you can add Petite in there, which is a good 60-minute easy ride. I don't find that it fatigues me a lot, but it also it's a good calorie burner. Yeah. And doing that in a fasted state could... Uh, help you shed the fat. I find it easiest to uh, influence my weight during the time of, during sweet spot base. It's like my time where I can get away with having more hunger and do those type of things. Once I get into build, I can't sacrifice a lot of that fueling. It becomes very crucial because the workouts get very demanding. Um, so it's really your time to make a lot of gains is, is in that base period uh, with, with that weight loss. Less intensity, a little easier to handle that way. Um, and yeah, it's some really quick uh, tips as far as on handling that hunger pain too. We've talked a lot about this, but fueling for your workouts is a great point to go into it. But when you do get hungry, my go-to and one that, that I've shared with Nate is I, I love uh, like a bottle of Pellegrino or something like that. And I drink a ton of that, but the, the gasified that's, that was Spanglish right there. I apologize, but carbonated water, <laughs> carbonated water, that does help quite a lot on on making me feel full mm. it's a it's a good tip and um if you're craving sugar or anything else like that i put a little pomegranate juice just a tiny bit in there in the evening and that helps too so i like those waters and then i'll do a quest bar yep. a quest protein bar which is the low net carbs high protein yep and i know chad and i rely on if we do have to have something later in the evening we frequently have eggs a couple hard-boiled eggs yeah yep. yeah it's just satiating yep exactly yeah, yeah. And just, you know the protein doesn't hurt Search for things that make you full that aren't loaded full of sugar, and that can help. So, Or calories, because like yeah. cheese. True, calories yeah, too. too many calories. Yep. But it makes me feel awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sean, he says, what is, more, what is a more important number, normalized power or power for an interval? I assume, I don't know if you're talking about, maybe you guys have other insight here, if he's talking about average power or if he's talking about live power so output. The, I actually want to throw this back to Nate really quickly, but first I want to, <clears throat> say uh, one thing, a normalized power, uh, we, we try not to steer people t- 
uh, to looking at normalized power too much too often unless they're really long intervals. Short intervals and normalized power don't play well. So unless you're looking at 20, 30-minute efforts, normalized power is a, a little problematic. Uh, my question to Nate for once is, is uh, I don't understand. I'm hoping you can explain how normalized power can be higher than average power. Or uh, the lower. other way around. Sorry, yes. lower. Okay, so I had the same question, and we have an employer CTO superstar math guy, he explained it to me that, so this is in Sean's case, he had it where during an interval, say you have a five minute interval, and if you really hit that interval just right, precisely, this usually happens with actually a Wahoo kicker, mm-hmm. where you're really, um, it's kind of so smooth, you hit it, and then when you leave the interval, okay. there's that stop, there's a steep, um, you know, you go from 300 watts down to 100 watts. Yeah. The way that the algorithm for normalized power goes it can wait for normalized power. That that steep cutoff at the end can actually cause it where you have lower normalized power than average power. Oh, I remember On the this. road, okay. people don't ever see it because mm-hmm. they're that's the that steep cutoff at the end is kind of absorbed by the um, sporadic nature of your power meter, where your normalized power will just kind of get bumped up those extra watts. Mm. But with a kicker on a long interval, that can totally happen. Mm. Um, Interesting. We've actually thought about tweaking. The formula so that that part of the formula gets taken out yeah coggin would probably kill i mean <laughs> he would tell us we're wrong <laughs> um and it, we've we thought that maybe not to do it but yeah um it's not really that big of a deal but if it's a steady interval sean just look at your average power um pretty much everything on trainer road you can look at your average power yeah mm-hmm. um and that's what, what you can do normalized power is fun and stuff, especially to normalized power, you can look at for your entire workout. Yes. And that's yeah. how you compare. But for intervals, look at average power. And if you're in the middle of the interval, uh, we've said this before, but don't pay attention to the average of your interval during that interval. Instead, just look at your target and every second try to be hitting that target. Um, and that's another thing you see a lot of people, for one reason or another, if they go, if they start out really hard or they start out really easy, they're going to have to drag that normalized power in one direction or another if you're paying attention to normalized power for your average for that interval. And that's not what you should be doing. Our goal is to have you working at a specific intensity for a specified time, not to be reaching an average at the end of that time. So yeah, yeah, don't sweat the averages. Just try to keep your power on target. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all about live. Keep it live. Um, David. I've listened to the podcast for quite some time. It's excellent, and I appreciate what you guys are doing. I do have a question. I've always been a very strong crit rider in that I could hang with a pack and contest the final sprint. In recent years, I've migrated to half Ironman triathlon. That's a that's a big shift right there, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Despite what I view as a healthy improvement in FTP from 177 to 218 after several years off the bike, I still find my body is geared to high wattage sprints for short durations. I'm using the half Ironman low volume plan. It's working great, but was curious what, if anything, I can do to shed the old cyclist, that's in quotes, who was successful in sprints versus a pure long duration high FTP rider. I'm not sure if the low volume plan, as I have the time constraints with family and work travel, are holding me back. I find the low volume plan has higher intensity at lower duration. Thanks for, again, guys, thanks for the advice. Yeah, David, there's a a definite chance that either you've cultivated or you have a genetic predisposition toward being one type of rider. Um, That's a tough thing to get away from, too. So you may just excel in crits, and half Ironmans may be a bigger challenge to you. Um, I would recommend going the the more steady state uh, route with things and trying to improve your steady state power. 
um, just just targeting that. And if that means tweaking the plans or choosing you know, different plans, um, then so be it. But <clears throat> basically, you're just trying to address um, a, a limiter, something that's keeping you from excelling or riding the way you want to ride. And that limiter is steady state power. So that means that's what you have to focus on. Hmm. You could, the low volume too, you might need to bump up to medium mm-hmm. or Perhaps. just add maybe one workout for low volume or switch one out to maybe like, from a 60 to a 90 minute, like as like baby steps before you get all the way to mid volume. Sure. Yeah. Make it incremental. And I, I can't help but think there's probably a mental aspect to this too, in the sense that you know that you're really good at that crit racing stuff. You've done that for years. And if things get tough in those sustained intervals, that's going to be the first thing your brain's going to pop up. You're not good at this. Remember, you're really good at something else, you know, and I think it's a, tricky. A lot of people too, um, Chad kind of said it, you, you're either genetically predisposed or you've trained that way mm-hmm. or you think you're that way. Mm-hmm. So Pete Morris, who's on the Crit Podcast, I started racing Episode with him. Episode 21, by the way, yeah, yeah. That one, yeah. So he's on the cliff. He's racing, what, semi-pro? Or do you call that pro? Yeah, he's pro. Yeah, yeah pro. Pro, pro racing, doing crits all over the country. Really good racer. FTP, like, around 400. He's a beast. So <laughs> um, Pete, I used to, he actually moved into a house that I used to live in yeah. um, right after me. I used to ride with him. I used to beat him in races <laughs> back in like 07 or something or 08. I used to beat Justin Rossi. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, all I like did race with Justin Rossi. Uh, We're all a bunch of Uncle Ricos I right know. now. This is bad. <laughs> back in the day, I was like, I should have went with him. He, he broke once and I should have gone with him. So yeah, I could have yeah. beat, uh, like one time I beat him. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, Pete used to always tell me back in the day, I'm a sprinter, I'm a sprinter, I'm mm. a sprinter, I'm a sprinter. He'd only do sprints. He tried to train for sprints. Because he was like naturally kind of more bulky, mm-hmm. and he would just always say that. Now you talk to Pete, and he's like, "I'm not a sprinter. It's like I'm a high power, like six Roller. minute, yeah. yeah, yeah, like two five k to go guy. He's yeah, like, exactly. he's like he's gonna break then and and hold that high power for a while. And he's found now that that's what he is. But he just used to always believe he was a sprinter, and he would always sit in and wait for the sprint um, because yeah. he never really gave himself a chance to develop that other those other skills. Yeah. And he has a very, you know, just in general, high, great genetics and a really strong rider. So he was good at sprinting, but he's better at other stuff. That's he's a good, never new. That's a good point. And really the reason I bet that, and Pete, um, if you're listening, I'm sure that you could attest to this. I'm sure you found out that you weren't the sprinter you thought you were once you started going up against the best sprinters in the nation, right? And when you are in, in your situation, David, you were, you're a beast on crits and then you're going back into uh or you're going into triathlon you're suddenly better at that short power stuff than the huge than the majority of the people you're around but that doesn't mean that you can't be the type of athlete you need to be for half uh, half try you know half ironman yep it's really about shifting your focus and if you can do the best to just erase that and just think of yourself as an athlete and you're going to train and build a specific type of fitness and your body will respond it may respond at different levels or at different facilities than others but if you do that you'll probably be able to erase that old cyclist. Yeah, you're, you're just trying to cultivate out. a different type of fitness. And I'm sure there was <clears throat> there's a big aerobic element to criterium riding for sure. <clears throat> but it sounds like the type of rider you were, you know, maybe you sat in, didn't spend a whole lot of energy during the course of the ride, and then you sprinted. Uh, you never really cultivated or, or uh, mm-hmm. created this sort of uh, fitness. So this, this, like, again, like I said before, this steady state power, it's just a shift, and it will... You know, take time. The other thing to build off Jonathan's point, this is so, this is a really cool insight, I think, is that David, so if you're racing at 177 to 218, your category, your race category, if you're light, is probably a little bit lower. Mm. Like you're, you're, you're not in the P12 races, right? Sprinting against some of the best sprinters. 
then you move over to triathlon. Triathlon doesn't have categories, right? Yeah. So you're age groups, yes, but you're against guys who are even if they're a masters rider, can be five watts a kilo, extremely good yep. Kona yeah. qualifiers, like really high level. And now you're suddenly comparing yourself against the best people. So totally, when you were a quote unquote <laughs> sprinter, if we would have placed you fresh at the end of a P12 race. Uh, that means pro little B race will have the pro category, category one, category two all together. You sprint with them, you'd be like, "Whoa, I'm not a sprinter." <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah. then you come into truck, and that's what you're getting in, in those half Ironmans. And those half Ironmans too, they're they're more distilled races because there's less of them. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're going to the um, the the Ironman branded ones, mm-hmm. you'll go someplace and people are trying to qualify for worlds and it's stuff. Serious. Yeah, and then yeah. you compare yourself against them, and you're like. Holy smokes, I have a long ways to go. Yeah, that's a yeah. good point. They're not categorized. They're just yeah. age grouped. Yeah. yeah, so you've got a mix of everything in there. It's easy to get lost in that shuffle. Yeah, and then you suddenly say, well, I'm not an endurance athlete, but no, it's, you know. You, it's, you're just an endurance athlete and you need to, to work on improving your endurance, greater fitness. David, though, yeah. if you're if your FTP is 218 and your sprint's like 2,000 watts for 20 seconds, then <laughs> you're definitely, yeah, yeah. Like, everything you're we said that. is wrong. <laughs> you just sit and sprint. Yeah, yeah. Go go hit up uh, Lotto Sudal. I'm sure they could. Uh, you could join up with Greipel there. Good lead-out guy or something. Um, Robin, hey, guys, excellent podcast. Keep them coming. They make mowing the lawn more bearable. I'm, I'm <laughs> All the things that, that people do when they listen to the podcast, good that's, stuff. That's high praise. Yeah. I'm a 49-year-old male, 5'6", and 115 pounds, and currently FTP of 205 watts, giving me a 3.9 watts per kilogram ratio. I'm currently midway through the climbing and road race and mid-volume specialty plan. And given my physical attributes, I'm small and light, is it realistic to expect to be able to increase my FTP by any reasonable amount, say up to 4.5 watts per kilogram? I can't lose any more weight or I'll blow away in the wind. And that sounds about right at 115 pounds. <laughs> what concerns me is that two years ago I had a full thyroidectomy and since then have been taking a daily dose of 150 micrograms of Levothro, le, lev, levo, levothyroxine. That's it. Yep. Whatever that was. Uh, my blood tests always appear normal for hormone levels. Therefore, my dosage has never been altered. Do you think that my medical condition is compromising my ability to raise my FTP? I feel great, but it's always at the back of my mind that I'm unable to overcome my condition. I've only been using a power meter for the past year. Therefore, don't have before and after uh, procedure figures to use as a direct comparison. However, just going by my times on events, I have completed before and after the, uh, the operation. I would say I'm underperforming now. Do you have any knowledge of other athletes with the same condition and how it has affected them? Thanks, Robin. So, Robin, I have zero experience with this, um, but I can say you're, you're operating without a, th- a thyroid. Um, the the L-thyroxine that you've been prescribed, apparently <clears throat> it's the right dosage if your blood work says so, and I'm guessing your doctor confirms that. That's something for you and him to discuss. Um, whether or not that's influencing your performance, I suppose there's a possibility. I mean, it does uh, affect energy metabolism and protein synthesis, and there are things that the thyroid is responsible for, and I'm guessing that this this uh, medication, this hormone supplement that you're on is, is compensating for that. Um, I, I think there are two things that are more in my realm. Um, the first of which is you're 49 years old. Um, performance is going to start to decline at some point or, or at least plateau. And then the decline, uh, the inevitable decline will happen at some point when that is and how, how quickly it takes place is, is up to you. Um, and then I think it's also, <clears throat> you've got this in your head that it's, that it's a limiter and it might be your go-to excuse. Well, you know, I don't have my thyroid, my, my, 
my the L-tyroxine dosage is probably a little bit off. Um, either way, you're psychologically working against yourself. Even if it's subconscious, it's not like an active it, effort on your exactly. Own. Yeah. So I mean, obviously the 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 medication aspect of it totally out of our realm. That's something you got to discuss with your doctor. But the the performance decline that comes with age is a sad fact. It's just a reality that we'll all have to uh, make make amends with at some point in time. And then the, the psychological component of it is something you can address, you know, consciously right now. Um, so I don't know what I'm talking about with this, but <laughs> I'm going to say stuff. Okay, so <laughs> here are some words. <laughs> um, 49, 3.9 watts per kilo. It's awesome. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yes, I think, I don't know about your full history, but only urine power meter. Yes, I think you get to 4.5 watts per kilo, especially at that lightweight. It's reasonable. Um, obviously, the... Disclaimer, everyone says, talk to your doctor, make sure you can do all this kind of stuff. Yeah. But I think you can do it. At, if this was, this is my logic. Again, I don't know what I'm talking about, so don't listen to me. <laughs> but my logic is that if this was a true limiter to you, you would not be at 3.9 watts per kilo right mm. now. Because mm-hmm. that already is... That's a good point. It's pretty, yeah, is outstanding. And you're performing at a high level. If you were like, I could not get over 2 watts a kilo... I would be like, I mean, you should probably talk to your doctor and there's something in there. Yeah. It's probably not a true physical limiter, or at least to the degree that you may be assuming in this case, Rob. And not to discourage you, but you may be tapped out. You know, maybe maybe 4.0 watts per kilogram, 3.9 is, is all the higher you're going to go. Um, but how but, often do but, we see but that, But going though? from 4 to 4.5 isn't a leap that's out of the realm of possibility. Yeah. And how yeah. often do you see that with one year of power meter training mm-hmm. where they've plateaued? <laughs> seldom, if like ever. ever right? usually, yeah, you're usually going straight up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like even once at 49. You start yep. Yeah, yeah. So I would assume that it's very much uh, within your realm. And and if we have any listeners who have an experience with a thyroidectomy or uh, levothyroxine, check it out. I got it that time. <laughs> said it. Um, nice. If if anybody has any experience with that, please write in, and then maybe we can share that with it, because you never know. Maybe there are more people dealing with this. But Or if you're a doctor. Or if you're a doctor, and you know a whole it's lot more better, than right? us. We'll take advice from a medical professional, sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, the last question for today from Halsey, and this kind of touches on something you said, uh, Nate. I wanted to leave this one for last. I really enjoyed episode 21 with the Cliff Bar Cycling Team. It was very helpful for my first season of racing in the local weekly series. With cyclocross on the near horizon, I was hoping you all might be able to do a similar podcast with some elite cross riders. Me too. Thanks for all your hard work uh, you guys do there at Trainer Road. Best regards, Halsey. I think we can. At Cross Vegas? I, I like to. So um, I know I know Jeremy Powers. We, we've chatted a few times, and I'd like to have him on here. It'd be pretty cool. So we'll see if we can do that. What about Katarina Nash? And Kat, mm. she's awesome. She's local. I'm yeah. sure we can talk to her. She's, yeah, yeah. she's Tell an her about incredible athlete, by the way. How many World Cup General. races has she won? She's won so many. Um, she's She went to – she was at the Atlanta Olympics, so in 96 – and she's and she's going to this one. She's competed in the Winter Olympics and the Summer Olympics. She's amazing, and she's and she's really really cool too. She she's a local rider here in the Truckee. Uh, she lives in Truckee, but she in the Northern Nevada, Northern California area. She's always racing. But she does mostly um... mountain biking and cyclocross. Yeah, that's mainly what she does. Um, and she's a heck of a cross rider, uh, really good. So. I think we can. And if you guys, like Nate mentioned, if you have any other things that you want us to, you know, 
some specific people you want us to talk to, we, we know people like Ron Burgundy. We know people. So <laughs> if you want us to uh, talk to people there at the Interbike, let us know and we can get some cool insights uh, with people that'll be there. Yeah, she's won the UCI Mountain Bike World Cup individual title three times. Yeah, she's amazing. So she's real good. Yep. Yeah. So we'll we'll see who we can talk to. And if you have specific riders you'd like us to talk to there, um, that will be there that you feel are approachable or you'd want to listen to, let us know. I'm not afraid to go up to them and ask them. So uh, it could be cool to have them on there. If you have any suggestions for people, let us know. Thanks for submitting your questions. Remember, you can do that at trainerroad.com slash podcast or use the hashtag AskTrainerRoad. If you're on Snapchat, look us up there. I'm going to answer a blitz of questions today. We have a bunch of them, and I've been slacking since I've been dealing with baby stuff, but I'm going to get back on it. So uh, you can find us on there too. Thanks so much, everybody. Uh, We'll talk to you all next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.